Hey, how are we doing this morning? Do me a favor, grab, grab your Bibles. I say this every week, grab your Bibles and turn to, and today we're gonna to be in Job 42, so grab your Bibles and turn there. There's ushers coming up and down the row. Here, here's what I would say. This morning, you're actually really gonna need a Bible. We're looking at a lot of scripture. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. If you don't own a Bible, take that as a gift from us. But because of the nature of what I'm working through this morning and the passages we're gonna look at, it's, you're gonna want a Bible opened. Find your way to Job 42. If you're not familiar, Job is in the Old Testament. If you take your Bible, open it down the middle, you'll find the book of Psalms. It's long, it's 150 chapters. Just flip back um, a book or so before that, you'll find the book of Job. We're gonna be in chapter 42. Um, I think we live in unusual times, would you agree? Um, it's good to be back here. Uh, last week I wasn't in church here, my wife was teaching down in northern uh, Indianapolis at Harvest Bible Chapel North Indy. She did a women's conference down there on Friday and Saturday nights. So we did a lot of driving this past week because then we had to get up to Toronto for a conference on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So we left here um, on a Friday afternoon. We drove, just took the scenic route. We went to um, St. Joe's and down that way till we got to Gary, Indiana. And then we shot down Highway 65 to um, Indianapolis. If you haven't had the chance to do that drive, wow, that's, that's some real beauty, right? And uh, from there, we stayed there through the services on Sunday morning. And then we cut across um, Indiana and Ohio. We got to experience Dayton, Columbus, Cleveland in that order. Came around the bottom of Lake Erie. That's a beautiful lake. Through Buffalo, New York, and up into Toronto for the conference. And then... Um, on Wednesday, we returned home through Detroit, Flint, and back to Spring Lake. Um, not exactly the romantic drive, but it accomplished what we needed to get done. I, I would ask you this. So, so we believe God creates all things, right? Do you believe that God created humor? Do you believe that God has a sense of irony? Well, since I was out of the office at the beginning part of the week, I was finishing up my service on Thursday. I got to church pretty early. Men's Bible study starts at 6.30, and I was around at the start of that and couldn't get my computer screen to work at work, and eventually I would give up on that, and about noon I went home, finished at my office in Grand Haven, and while I was in Grand Haven preparing this message, you'll get the irony of this in a minute, I turned on the TV, and as I finished this message, I was watching the uh, testimony of Dr. Christine Ford and Judge Kavanaugh and uh, our congressional hearings. Uh, nothing funny about that. I'm worried about our country. That's not a um, partisan statement by any means. I'm worried about the division. I'm worried about the sense of hostility on both sides of the aisle. I don't trust my news. It doesn't matter if you watch CNN. It doesn't matter if you watch Fox News, both biases. I don't trust my news. And as you watch what's going on in our country, we live in interesting and unusual days. It seems broken. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I look, I say, Lord, what are you doing? Where, where is the good in this? Where is, where is your hand in all of this? Where is this leading to me, the future looks very, very uncertain for our country. 
In the midst of it, I'm working through some texts and some emails of something else that I'm dealing with, and I'm saying, why in the world am I dealing with this? Like, God, where's your hand in this circumstance that I'm having to spend time today unpacking? And we've been in this series on prayer. If you're visiting with us, this is our fourth week in a series on prayer that we're studying this fall. I began the series by teaching why pray. Like, like, how does prayer work? Why does it matter? How do our prayers move the heart of an immovable God? Like, like, what does prayer actually accomplish? If that's a question in your mind, go find that sermon. It's on our website somewhere. And then we studied the prayer of Jabez and the, the call not just to pray mundane prayers, but to pray boldly. And I know in our small group, the men have been listing out some bold prayers, and we're already seeing God answer some of those. I, I would encourage you to pray boldly. And last week, Ryan and Cal spoke from uh, the story of Elisha and his servant Dothan, surrounded by the army of Syria. And uh, Elisha prayed for perspective, that his servant could see what was really true. And while they were surrounded by the Syrian army, the Syrian army was surrounded by the army of the Lord. And this was this prayer for perspective that we could see things as God sees them, that we would have the confidence that God is doing what his word proclaims. And even though sometimes we don't see it, that he is doing something that is described as if we did understand it. It is awesome. It is marvelous. It is astonishing. And the prayer is that we would be able to see things from God's perspective. But here's the truth. Sometimes we can't see things from God's perspective, right? And we don't got... The, the finished puzzle in front of us, all we have are the pieces, and in that moment, we have a choice. Are we going to doubt? Are we going to become angry? Are we going to ask questions? And today, we're going to be looking at a prayer that Job prayed in chapter 42, and his prayer is a prayer of surrender. Verse 1 of chapter 42, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful to me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak, and I will question you, and you will make known to me. For I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. In the book of Job, Job has an encounter with God that will completely rock his world. It will forever alter his perspective on who God is, on who he is, and it will alter his perspective on life, why things happen, how things happen, and it will change his need to always demand answers and an explanation for what God's doing. The problem that I have in teaching this prayer, Psalm 42, 1 through 6, if you don't know what happened in the previous 41 chapters, it's very hard to understand the prayer. So I have to unpack 41 chapters of scripture in about 15 to 20 minutes. Now some of you all complain that I speak fast on a regular basis. Um, Hold on, because we're going to have to roll for the next few minutes, and I'm going to take you back, if you would, turn back to Job 1. The big idea this morning is this, to see God clearly To see God clearly, I must surrender. To see God clearly, I must surrender. The first point of this message is simply this. Our history 
is his story. Our history is his story. Surrender. Job 1 verse 1, it says, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Verse 3 says that he was the greatest of all the people of the East. And then in verse 6, it says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So Job, when it says that he was the greatest in the east, it wasn't just referring to his wealth and it wasn't just referring to his fame and it wasn't just referring to his power, but it was referring to his righteousness. That's who Job was. Now, there's a couple things going on in this scene that are really confusing to me, if I'm honest. Like, what in the world is Satan doing in the presence of a holy God? Does that strike any of you guys as odd? And does Satan really have audience to approach the throne of God? Is that true? And God is entertaining Satan in the heavenlies? Like, that seems like a, a weird dinner party. What's going on? Does this really happen? Let me take you to the New Testament. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So Job 1 says that Satan was roaming to and fro on the earth. We learn in the New Testament that he's not just roaming, he's not just out for a stroll or a walk. He is intentionally looking for people that he can, what's the word? Devour. And then Revelation 12, verse 10, <clears throat> says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who, speaking of Satan, who accuses him day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. So in Job 1, we see that Satan is walking back and forth on the earth and that he is in the presence of the Lord. We learn in Revelation that the reason that he's in the presence of the Lord is to accuse the followers of Jesus Christ. And if you look at that verse in Revelation, hopefully you see the whole gospel in those two verses. Satan is accusing us. And guess what? We're guilty. We are absolutely guilty of his accusations. So what frees us from the accusations of the accuser if they're true? Well, the verse lays it out. It's the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. But we see this scene unfolding in Job 1, verse 9. It says, the, Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand, and his possessions have increased in the land. So, now a challenge is beginning to form. God says, you see my man Job, he's righteous and blameless. And Satan says, of course he is, because you protected him with a hedge of protection and he hasn't experienced any harm. Now, a couple of things about that. Satan declares what is true. I hope that you can look back on your story and see his story, his hand of protection on your story. Can you guys see that? 
Okay, not, not randomly, not a green kind of. Write it down. Like, where have you seen God's hand of protection in your story? What bullet have you dodged in your past that if things were different in that moment, my life would go completely different? In the 9 o'clock service, I will not make this mistake, in the 11 o'clock service, I said, you ever look back on your Facebook at your high school friends and you're like, I remember when I liked that girl in the 10th grade and man, am I glad I didn't end up with that. Before the 11 o'clock service, my wife said, who did you start to date in the 10th grade? My bad. <laughs> I remember when Kristen and I were first married, we were in our early 20s, and uh, we were living in the western uh, suburbs of Chicago, and I was driving a car that had some really weird electrical problems. Most of the time it would perform just fine, but if it started to rain or if there was any moisture, the entire electrical system in this car would get really janky. And all of a sudden I would turn on my turn signal and the horn would honk and I'd turn the wheel and I'd hear crackling and, and I'd smell fire and so it just when it got wet out this car became really problematic. I remember one night, a specific night, a Halloween, um, I got in the car, it was raining, it was dark, we had been at some friend's house and as I got in the car my problem that night was my headlights weren't very bright and where they normally send out a strong beam they were just kind of this dull yellow glow. And I'm like, oh, it's the car again. I can't believe this. Let's just get home. We'll figure out what it is. Not my best move. And as we drove home on that dark, rainy night, we came through the town of Geneva. And as I got into the city of Geneva, some trick-or-treaters came, shot across. They were darting across a highway. And the last guy darted. But as he got to the middle of the highway in front of my car, he got unsure that he was going to make it. So he just kind of froze in place. I didn't see him. My headlights didn't pick him up. And I remember my wife screamed, and I remember I looked up, and that kid was in the center of my hood. I mean, he was right there. And I swerved, and I swerved back. I tried to keep control of the car. I waited to hear the thump, and the thump never came. And I looked in the back of my car, and the kid was still standing right in the road where I'd last seen him in front of my vehicle. I can't to this day tell you what happened. I think when I get to heaven, I, gotta, I wanna replay this day. I hope you get to do that. Do you guys hope you get to do that? Because I, I think maybe God just picked him up and set him back down, because I don't have another explanation of how I missed him. And if God did that, I wonder if he knew, because I'd like to talk to him too. My life, completely different if that moment had turned out differently. Would you agree? We are so quick to complain about the circumstances in our lives and we forget to praise him for the hedge of protection that if we're honest, we would acknowledge in most of our lives. Some of you are having difficulty hearing me unpack this because you would say that your life is not marked by the hedge of God's protection. Stay with me. Don't, don't, don't shut me down because I talk about a hedge of protection, what Satan claimed to be around Job in your story. Because if you can't relate to that, I think you're going to be able to relate to what happens next in Job's story. Satan says, hey, you've protected him. You've put a hedge of protection around him. He says in verse 11, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. He'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand only against him do not stretch out your hand. 
Job is about to become the point of the battle. He is going to be on the front lines of a heavenly war between God and Satan. Why? What is Satan doing? Why is God allowing Satan to test Job? What has Job done to deserve this? Can we just agree that it's okay to admit that we don't have all the answers? Are you guys okay with that? Job doesn't have any idea what's about to come his way. Verse 14, Job is at his home. I'll read this quickly. A messenger comes in verse 14 and tells Job that the Sabaeans have attacked some of his servants. They've killed them all and they've stolen all of his donkeys, part of his livestock. He goes, I alone have escaped to tell you. While this guy's still speaking, verse 11, another guy comes in and says, the fire of God fell from heaven, burnt up a bunch of your other livestock. I alone have escaped, verse 17. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans came and formed three groups and stole the rest of your stuff. I'm alone to escape. I hope you see every verse while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, the, how rapid it was that Job's circumstances changed culminated in verse 18 while he was yet speaking there came another and said your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's house and behold a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they're dead and i alone have escaped his wealth his place in the community his children taken Anybody here lost somebody and they ask God why? Anybody here angry with God? Demanding some answers? Find yourself in the story. Find yourself in Job's shoes. Job responds in verse 21. This is somewhat amazing. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or change or charge God with any wrong. The message today is a prayer of surrender. I would suggest that what we just read is also a prayer of surrender. Job is saying, if the Lord gives good, then we also must be able to accept. In the midst of calamity and in the midst of suffering, what did Job choose to do? He worshipped. I'm telling you, that is a picture of surrender Chapter 2, the discussion between God and Satan continues. God says in verse 3, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him. Hear this. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Without reason. That's the word of the Lord. From Job's perspective, the calamity and suffering that he is enduring cannot be explained. It is without reason. We're going to study that through this book, you're going to see Job wrestle. Why is what hap is happening to me happening to me? Anybody been there? No explanation is given to Job. No explanation that for God's purposes he is chosen in the heavenlies to put Job's faithfulness on display for all to see. Job doesn't know that part of the story because from his perspective it is without reason. 
The discussion continues. Satan answers the Lord and says, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. See, God had set limits to what Job would endure. It was only going to be the loss of everything that he had. Now the limits have been expanded. You can go after him. You can take his health. All without reason from Job's perspective. Do you believe that sometimes we get glimpses into what God's doing here? Do you think sometimes we get those glimpses? I think it's very seldom through the windshield. Very seldom am I in a position where I'm in some trial or suffering in some way, and I go, I get how God's using this in the moment. I don't get that. But sometimes you see it in the rearview mirror. Would you agree? And you can look back and see God's hand of blessing. I remember um, 25 years before becoming a pastor. I went to college to be a pastor. I came out a businessman. 25 years in real estate and real estate development. It was my life for the first 15 years, but the call for ministry was always there. And with about 10 years to go, I'd lost the taste of the deal. I had the desire, and God was planting in my heart the call to full-time ministry, but it took 10 years to get there. Bad markets, rough deals, difficult season. Why am I here? Well, the first thing I got to do was negotiate a lease with the Trillium for a short-term space because I was in a zoning battle with the city of Spring Lake over moving our church to international aid. And once we won that, then we had to do a construction project to make international aid ready. And as soon as we got in there, I had to do another construction project here to renovate this building. And then we did another construction project as it related to the South Campus because God gave us that opportunity. You're starting to see why maybe the call to the ministry that God was calling me involved a little bit of time in real estate. Like, I'm not that smart, but even I can start to connect some dots. <laughs> like, sometimes... Sometimes it's difficult to see, and sometimes, here's point two, we just got to surrender. We got to confess that God controls today. It says in verse 7 of Job 2, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the soles of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery with him to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? curse God and die. And he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Stature, fame, wealth, family. There's so much I want to say about the verses that I just read, but I'm going to be very, very careful. Can we conclude from the comments of his wife, that maybe Job was experiencing some relational conflict in his marriage. Can we conclude that? Did I say that softly enough? <laughs> Men, this is free. Okay, this is free advice. Notice in the middle of the relational and marital strife, Job did not call his wife a fool. He said that she sounded like the women that are foolish. That's tact, okay? You got to be careful what you say when you're in the middle of a marital dispute. God had put bounds on what Satan was allowed to do to Job. He had not placed those same bounds on his wife. Job had to be careful. 
So in the middle of this, everything is taken away from Job, including the intimacy and the closeness with his spouse. At this moment, was Job suffering? Yes. Was Job being tested? Yes. Did any of this make sense to Job? No. Was God still being faithful to Job? Yes. Even when life appears unfair, even when we can't figure out what's going on, even when life feels random, it is not. Please hear me. It's okay to wrestle with life. Job struggles with the circumstances that he finds himself in. Listen to the depth.